Well, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of all the crass and in-your-face commercialism already. (laughs) A little bit of this goes a long, long way with me. In fact, all that you see, this hype, this hoopla that has come to be associated with Christmas is actually associated with two of the most significant events that have ever occurred in the history of man. And of course, I speak specifically of Christmas and then Easter. But there are very important and compelling reasons why we must nonetheless always observe these special memorials. No one knows the exact date of Christ's birth or his resurrection. They have been, both of them, they've been forgotten. And I might add, thankfully so. With all of this commercialism that you see going on right now, imagine what it would be like if we actually knew the very day that Jesus was born or crucified. Everything you see right now, (laughs) the crowds, the mess, multiply that by a factor of at least 10. And that's what it would be like if we knew the very day that Jesus was born. Get your Christmas fireworks here, you know. Sail here. It would just be unbelievable. Even though we as believers disagree with the commercialism that has occurred, we must nonetheless celebrate these events, even though the world has taken them and begun to use them the wrong way. Even if we don't know the exact dates. It is extremely important that we as believers never lose sight of what this is really all about. Whatever your politics and whatever you think about the man currently in office, whether you like him or not, the one thing I do like is it's now okay to say Merry Christmas again. I wish somebody would say amen. The reason is if the dates have been forgotten. It wouldn't be all that hard to forget the events themselves if we as believers do not hold on to the reality of what has happened and is the cause of all of this celebration. Christianity, if that ever occurs, will cease to be a faith and will just join the panoply of religions, the list. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, There are four elements of the gospel that if they are not believed, then our faith is literally in vain. Four elements, not three, not two, not five, four. I was raised to believe there were about 150 (laughs) vital elements of the gospel. But when you really boil it down to its fundamental essentials, there are four. 1 Corinthians 15, you can read them with me. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. That's the good news, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. You can only stand in the gospel. Everything else will collapse under you. And he said, by which also you are saved, if you hold faith, fast rather that word which I preach to you. And here it is, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, Now watch it, that Christ, that's number one, I'll explain in a moment. Number two, died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number three, that he was buried. And number four, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 
the month of December, while being the last month of our calendar year, is actually when we celebrate the first of these significant religious events that are the foundations of the gospel. I've heard people say we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it used to years ago be a pagan holiday. And then we shouldn't celebrate Easter because that date was also a pagan holiday. And to be quite frank with you, historically they're correct. But they miss the entire spirit of why Christians chose those days to celebrate these two significant historical events. And that is, what are you going to do? Just let the devil have that day and say, hands off? No, Christians said, you go celebrate whoever you want. We're going to celebrate the real God here. In other words, we're taking it back. I wish somebody would just say, we're taking it back. We've done that through the years with Halloween. So everybody has their Halloween party. We have a hallelujah party. Amen. We're not conceding anything to the devil. When we celebrate Christmas or Christ Mass, Mass being worship service, and commemorate the birth of our Savior, the virgin birth of Jesus, and the sinless life he lived is the first of these four important components upon which the gospel message gives us hope and is built. The other three elements of the good news are, as I've mentioned, the crucifixion of Christ, then his burial, and then his triumphant resurrection. Now, of course, you might be wondering, as we look at that verse that was up there a moment ago, those passages, how do I get the virgin birth out of that when it's not mentioned? Or the sinless life when that is not mentioned either? He just says Christ and goes on to the next three events. And of course, you have to understand that for him to call Jesus Christ is significant in this sense, that it fulfilled the prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. Not least among them is found in Isaiah 4 or 7 and 14, the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so by identifying Jesus as Christ right off the bat, the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that this is the one who fulfilled those messianic prophecies that were so exact and so uh, uh, in reference to minutia of detail that it could not be any accident that Jesus is who he is, that it was a specific plan designed by God and fulfilled in Christ. Not only that, by calling him the, the word Christ or Christos in the Greek, he means the anointed one. And if you know anything at all about how they anointed priests in the Old Testament, they first went through a purification ceremony involving water and blood. And finally, after seven days, then the oil was applied. In Jesus' case, he calls him the Christ. And there has not been any application of blood. He's, in fact, going to be the one to shed blood. Why is it that Jesus did not need to be first purified? The answer to that is pretty simple. It's what I said a while ago. It's one of the foundations of the gospel that he was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. These four elements together, that is the virgin birth and the sinless life of Christ, his death on the cross, his burial, and his triumphant resurrection have done more good for humanity than all of the inventions mankind has ever created. All of the good that people have done to help one another, 
just in the 7.30 service this morning as I was coming in, the usher who escorted me just whispered, Pastor, pray a word for my daughter-in-law. Just say a word to God, please. I said, what's the matter, Brother Simon? And he said, they found her unconscious in her car. Young lady, just unconscious, just He said she was dead. The paramedics were able to resuscitate her. And this morning she's in ICU. And the family's gathered there. And he was in church. The rest of the family there. Faithful to his post. Going back to the church. Or back to the hospital. And they're praying for a miracle for her. Well I'll tell you what. Having been in some of those hospital beds. And having been in some of those rooms with others who were in the beds. I thank God for every machine that they've created. I thank God for everything they've designed that have helped. Every medicine. I thank God for every advance in medical technology. But I want to tell you all of them together have not done as much good as the four things that I've just mentioned a while ago. The birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They have given us more hope than anything else the world has ever put together, than all of the ingenious advances of modern science from Eden until now. None of them can compare. That's why we see trees like the one in the lobby, festooned with ornaments and lights and the long lines and the shopping malls and the gaily wrapped presents under the trees and holly and wreaths on doors and all of this. But it really sprang from an humble stable a little non-significant town with no merit that would call attention to it. And sadly, and this should not be overlooked or minimized even with all of the gaiety at this time of the year, there is a problem with what is happening right now. There's a problem. And if you will allow me, I'll explain even though everyone but a few Ebenezer Scrooges rejoice, right, during this season. Like most believers, when I look around, I think you do too, I fear that celebrating the season has taken on such a life of its own that most people seem to have forgotten what we're really celebrating. That's why I said a while ago that I'm really glad that regardless of the trend that was going on for a number of years, we can now say, unabashedly, unashamedly, Merry Christmas once more. Amen. I'm really happy we can do that because the trend was rapidly moving the other way. Oh, to be sure, there's a vague awareness in everybody's minds, everybody that is busy going about what people are doing right now. There's a a, a distant memory, a recollection that there was a baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago. But to most people, it's, that's not what this is about anymore. It's about the gaiety. It's about trips to the mall. It's about spending money. It's about the anticipation of watching children's eyes light up when they open presents. It's about big dinners and turkeys and, and all of the other stuff that's going on. And sadly, for many observers today, Christmas isn't any longer an occasion to worship God for what he did for us. It isn't an occasion of thankfulness. It has become a time for people to forget their worries. They get caught up in the spirit of whatever this is. And in a frenzy, people are going through life, pushing through crowded 
malls and department stores. You say, why don't we just quit? Enough already. I'll tell you why. The Christmas season is important and we must be sure that for us, it is a time to reflect upon the goodness of God. If we ever forget any one of these four things, Paul said, our faith is in vain. If we ever allow the cynicism that there could be a virgin birth or a sinless life or a resurrection, if we ever allow that to be stolen from us, then Christianity just joins the long list of other religions. It's a season when we ought to express thanks. A season to be joyful. A season to remember that God loved us. But that's not all. Christmas to me is a very humbling time. There's something about this season that evokes in me the deepest feelings of humility. And when I look around, I realize it's not just in me. Even the most superior and smug and arrogant person among us at this time of the year seems to find some little tug occurring in his heart that makes him want to serve the downtrodden and the less fortunate among us in some ways. And even if it's only to drop a few bucks in a Salvation Army bucket like I did last evening as we do our shopping or a few coins in the cup of a homeless person standing at the corner of a street light, we find ourselves for some reason wanting to be a little more generous and helpful at this time of the year than usual. Oh, that's most of us. If you were in the malls <laughs> Black Friday, you probably saw some of this right here. I hope that sister's coming in for another tag. Just watch here. There she is. Okay, that's enough. I hope that was none of you in that video. If it is, I will be in my office afterward to take confession and to pray for you. Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. You will need some prayer. But for most of us, it's a time when we feel a tug and a call to humility. I think that's because in the Christmas story, we actually see the most amazing thing occur. The most mind-boggling thing. The mighty God of glory. Who created the world in which we live, chose to become less. Less. To humble himself. And to become a mere mortal being, he dared to risk being less than what he was. To come into the very world he created and be rejected. That just doesn't sit well with most of us when we consider that we might at times need to do the same thing. 
Because in life, this is what we hear. We hear words of encouragement such as, dare to be great. Don't settle for too little. Be all you can be. You can make it to the top if you really try. Pay your dues. Pull yourself up. Don't sit back and wait for a handout. Statements like that are meant to encourage us. And I'm not saying what I'm about to say to demotivate anyone or even to excuse a lack of vision on the part of those who might just be too lazy to get up and pursue excellence. But sometimes being less is not a bad thing. I can think of a lot of things where less is actually better. (laughs) How about this? Less debt. That's not so bad, is it? Less war sounds good to me. Here's a good one for the holiday season. How about less weight? Less stress. I think of all kinds of examples where less is actually better. Or how about this one? Thinking about four months ago to Hurricane Harvey. How about less rain? Sometimes less really can be more. And to me, that is one of the most incredible revelations of Christmas. That the mighty God of heaven, who filled the whole universe, who said of himself in Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, and when I want to prop up my feet, I use the earth as my footstool. That this incredible God dared to become less than what he had always been throughout endless ages of time to become a mortal man. He laid aside his majesty and royal splendor to become human and even more. Not just human alone. He dared to become the most defenseless of humans by becoming a baby. I don't know if you've stopped to think about it during this season, but I hope that you have. But the very one you pray to, the one that the brother that led me in in the 7.30 service this morning that I turned to and said, I will pray and I have been praying. That that one that we call Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, became completely dependent upon others to provide for him. It's mind-boggling that Elohim would dare to condescend from his lofty estate, worshipped by angels. To leave streets of gold and be here in this broken down, fallen world with broken down, fallen down people. He came here. It's mind-boggling that he would condescend. Condescend is even, it's one of those words that's changed its meaning somewhat through the years because these days, condescend means to be acting superior. You're acting in a condescending way toward me. You know, your your smug, self-righteous, condescending air, people might say, of someone, you know, patronizing. Don't patronize me. But in the sense that the Bible talks about the condescension of Christ. It has no air of superiority at all. To the contrary, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines condescend 
to mean to descend to a less formal or less dignified level or to waive and surrender the privileges of rank. Wow. He certainly did that, didn't he? He certainly didn't mind descending to a less formal or less dignified level. And he certainly did waive the privileges of rank as the mighty God. He said, uh, is there any God beside me? And he said, I looked and I found none. I stand alone. I am unique. I am by myself. I am Elohim. I am Jehovah God. I am the Almighty. Yet we read that he condescended. He left the privileges of rank to come to be among us and talk about descending to a less formal or dignified level. The God of glory laid in a manger in a smelly stable. The creator left the worship of seraphims and cherubims and all types of angelic beings some with wings over their faces and over their feet, and with others they flew, crying in unison in a heavenly chorus, Holy, 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 holy. His magnificence so great that they would dare not look at him, so high and lifted up and majestic that even angels could not stand to look at the penetrating aspects of his glory. And yet he came here to be laid in a manger, a cattle trough where they put feed for animals, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a stable because this God that all of heaven receives and worships was not even allowed in the end because there was no room for him. It just blows my mind. I'm flabbergasted at what happened, particularly when I consider what we human beings are like. We're always trying to inflate our self-worth, aren't we? Make others think more highly of us. Jesus spoke of that. He said, when you're invited to a feast, he said, be careful because he knew human nature. Don't go sit at the VIP table (laughs) because somebody with a bigger title than yours might just come along and they're going to say, sorry, bud, you got to go down to the table where the common folk are at. What is it in us that makes us want to seek out the VIP table to begin with? What is it in our nature that goes against what God did? What is it? Jesus said it'd be very humiliating for you if someone has to escort you down to a lower place. So stop seeking that. Luke 14, chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Did you hear that? But he who humbles himself will be exalted. We don't want to wait for that. And we want to be treated special and to be admired and looked up to. And today, it's really, isn't it, all about who has the most swag? Come on, help me out here. Programs like the Kardashians would never stand a chance if people understood humility. I'm serious. 
But that's what we aspire to and that's what we look up to. And we, we look at the nice cars and the nice houses and all of the bling and, and we think that makes us more significant. And what ends up happening is that the Christmas season comes along to remind us of a very important truth. I am not significant or insignificant because of what you think. I am significant because he cares for me. Oh, wish somebody would say amen. I matter because I matter to God. Whether I matter to you or not is not the issue. God cares about me and that's what Christmas is all about. I don't have to put up with all of this pretentiousness and try to impress people. Spend money I don't have for presents we don't need to impress people who don't like you and who won't like you after they open their gifts. They're going to still leave and go home talking about you. We have forgotten what Christmas is all about. Can I hear an amen? Christmas reminds us that the way up is actually down. Humility is the way to glory. I said there are four parts of the gospel. The virgin birth, the sinless life, then the burial, or his crucifixion, then the burial, and then the resurrection. You see, because if you can... Humble yourself. There's going to come a day when there will be a resurrection. Oh, hear what I'm talking about. The way up is down. You and I know people who get really upset if they're overlooked. It hurts us when people ignore us and fail to see who we are. And if we're talking to someone and someone else comes up that we know and speaks to them and not us, we get upset. I had an uncle that used to be really, really sensitive. Really, this was my uncle. I know you don't have one like this. And I was preaching a revival meeting in the city where he lived, or not far from there, and he came to the revival, and we had hundreds of people there that night. And afterward, his takeaway was this. He said, Rich, he said, that pastor didn't even come shake my hand. We had hundreds of people. How's the pastor going to get to everybody? And I said, Uncle Floyd, it's okay. There's just a big crowd of folk here today. But that's our human nature. Yet God chose the very opposite of that. He didn't come to live in a palace. His birth was not heralded by by great crowds of people and choirs singing and bands playing and parades marching down the street. He came in through the back door of his own creation. That's what happened Walked in and nobody knew he was there. Hello, somebody. He did not mind making himself less. And that is what the incarnation is all about. Isaiah 40 and 12, this is what the prophet said. This one that they didn't recognize, he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Measured heaven with a span. That's like taking a tape measure. He measured heaven. And calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales. Have you ever seen Everest? I have. That is a mountain, baby. That is a mountain. I'll never forget the first time I saw it. It took my breath away. You say, did you climb it? No. I was in Buddha Airplane. We flew right beside it. I looked out and said, there it is. Amen. 
And I went to do a Bible school graduation in Nepal. Irvin, you were with me one time. And we saw Nepal and we saw the mountain together on another occasion. God weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in his balance, in a balance. That's a big God I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some little deity with a small G. I'm talking about a capital G-O-D. Amen. I'm talking about a God who weighed the waters of the Pacific Ocean in the palm of his hand and did like this and said, that's enough. And then walked around to the Atlantic and said, there we go. And then the Caribbean and then the Saragasso Sea and then the Black Sea and the Sea of China and on and on. Listen, I'm talking about a God who is majestic and mighty. That's a big God. And again, he said, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In heaven, he ruled in majesty and splendor. But as Christ, born in a dirty stable. And John says, he was in the world. And though the world was made by him, it did not recognize him. What kind of intellectual capacity must you need to be able to design all of this? Ecosystems and rivers, mountains and trees and forests and animals and life cycles. What kind of massive intelligence must one possess? And yet as Mary's baby, he had to learn to speak. As Jehovah, he commanded legions of angelic beings who without hesitation obeyed not only his every command, but his every wish. His little Jesus, he had to obey the commands of his earthly mother and father. As Jehovah, he was possessor of the universe and all that is in them. Yet we're told in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the world and all those who dwell therein. Yet he had to send Simon Peter to catch a fish that had a gold coin in its mouth to pay taxes. As the Lord who rules all, he was unrivaled, uncontested, unequaled in every way. No one challenged him, but as Christ, he would be tested and and, 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 and would be opposed every single day, time and time again. And I juxtaposition these amazing facts, one beside the other, First of all, you can see that the message of the Christmas story is that God loves us. But there is a a message within the message. And it's that to which I want to call your attention in these last few minutes. The message that is within the message of Christmas is that to truly make your life count, you must be willing to humble yourself. And we don't like that. It rankles our spirit, disturbs us. The message in this story that every one of us should remember is that to be great, you must have a life and live a life of humility. You have to come down to others 
and be willing to surrender whatever thrones you've earned and whatever crowns you perceive you are due. You've got to, at some point in your life, be willing, if you're really going to make your life great, let those go. Let those go. Amen. The dictionary definition of humility is the quality or the condition of being humble, of having a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance of rank. You ever met anybody that you wish you could buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth? There's your retirement right there. Forget your 401k. You won't even need it. You can donate that to the building program. Find somebody and buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. The dictionary definition of humble is not proud, poor, or of a low social rank, ordinary, not special, or important. And did you know that the root word for humility and humble both is the Latin word humus, which means ground or earth. In other words, to be humble doesn't mean to be seated on a throne with everybody coming to acknowledge your greatness. The word humble means to be on the ground. This Christmas season, that is what I would challenge you to try to find a place of humility because look at what God did If he deserved worship, if he deserved praise, if he deserved the honor and the glory, and he does, to God belongs all of the glory. But if he was willing to leave it aside and come to earth for us, what an example for us to follow. To make your life great, you've got to learn to humble yourself. Oh, I know. The world has a different credo. It's all about trying to impress others and pretending to be somebody. But isn't that what gets us into trouble? We dress ourselves up in the most expensive designer clothes, drive cars we can't afford, all to impress people, as I said a while ago, who don't even care when the one that we ought to be impressing is him. Amen. And we run from those broken places. We run from those places where we're humbled. We run from those places where life suddenly strips us bare, don't we? And we pray for a breakthrough. And I'm talking to somebody. There's such a prophetic flow in this building right now. I'm talking to somebody that you're not where you want to be. And you feel like it's been unfair. You haven't got what you deserved. You haven't got the recognition. You haven't got the position. You haven't got the raise, the money. You haven't got the honor. Life has not been what you think it ought to be. And somehow it doesn't sit well. And what I'm suggesting that you do is look at him and say, God, I'll join you in your humility. I won't fight this anymore. I embrace it. Well, somebody in the building say amen. I'm going to embrace this place that I'm walking through right now. 
ordinarily when I feel what I feel in this building, when I sense, because there are people here, I'm talking to somebody right now. I could ask you, how many of you are walking through a broken place right now? I could ask you that. In fact, I will. How many would you ra- of you would raise your hands and say, I'm walking through a place that I don't want to go through right now? Look at the hands go up. But let me tell you, ordinarily, I would be praying for a breakthrough in your life. But something compels me to tell you this Christmas season, don't run from where you're at. Don't run from it. Embrace it. And say, God, if you can do it, I can do it too. If you can humble yourself, I can humble myself. I'm not looking for the VIP table. I'll take a place where you can find a place for me. You know why I'm preaching that? Because if you can humble yourself, there's a God coming along that's going to exalt you. You won't stay in that place very long. Oh, Lord. Do you feel the Holy Ghost in this building like I do right now? God is talking to someone in this house. Because if you can humble yourself, yes, yes, dying hurts. Yes, dying hurts. It hurts when we have to bury dreams. It hurts when we have to let go. It hurts when things don't turn out the way that we thought they would. It hurts when a marriage goes south because of something somebody else did that you had no control over. I'm talking to you right now. It hurts when the rug is yanked out from underneath you financially. It's painful when you have to let go of the aspirations and the dreams that you have carried all of your life and you're looking and saying, I ought to be at a different point right now, a different place than I'm at. I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve this. I've worked too hard. I've been through too much. Let me tell you, stop fighting it because your breakthrough's not coming on the mountain. It's coming in the valley. Hear what I'm talking about. This is the word that God would have you understand this Christmas season. You're looking for the mountain peak, but that's not where he's at. He's going to show up as the lily in the valley, and everything's going to change. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody praise him with me. Somebody give him some glory with me. Somebody lift him up. If you can praise him in the valley, listen, if you can praise him in the valley and you've been through your new birth and you're struggling to live a sinless life like he did and you still get crucified anyway, let me point one thing out. The the next step is resurrection and that's what I need you to understand. It's not over when it looks like it's over. Forgive me, I do feel my Holy Ghost anointing working in this place. You may not want to praise him, but just give me a moment. I'm going to praise him anyway. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
This is the word of God for somebody. You're not going to be in that valley much longer. There's a resurrection day just around the corner. A breakthrough is coming. I said a breakthrough is coming. A breakthrough is on its way. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. If the God of glory could step down, it doesn't hurt us to embrace the same principles in life if you humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't run from the brokenness. You can be seated and I'm finishing. When we are proud, we become unyielding. We become arrogant. Even to him. We don't listen when we should. We criticize, carp, complain. We end up hurting the people we love. Because arrogance always, always destroys those around you. It requires a lot of self-confidence and an unshakable sense of one's own self-worth to not feel threatened by taking a subservient or lesser role. Especially, listen, if that lesser role is in regards to those who are in reality far beneath you. You see, with my peers, I can be humble. But if there's someone that I think in my smugness, I'm at a better place than them. And then I'm forced to take a step down to the lower table. That's what wrinkles. When somebody overlooks all I've done and everything that I've accomplished to single out someone who's done far less and elevate them above me. Am I talking to anybody right now? Am I talking to somebody that got passed over for a promotion or raise? And that person is elevated. Oh, that's when it stings the most. And it requires a lot of self-confidence and an unshakable sense of your own self-worth to be able to look at that situation and say, it does not affect who I am because who I am is determined by him and not this situation. Amen. If I matter to God, that's all that counts. I'm preaching right now. If somebody walked out and left you high and dry, you matter to God. That's what matters most. Amen. Somebody else may not have recognized the treasure they had. Hello. Let me just preach like I want to in these last few minutes. 
somebody else may not have recognized the value of what they had been blessed to own or keep with them and be in relationship with. Do you remember some years ago in that flea market down on 59 Southwest Freeway? Somebody went in there and bought a rock that was on sale for $10. And they talked the guy down to $5. True story. It was the largest sapphire that has ever been found. It was worth $10 million. The guy that sold it tried to sue the guy that bought it. The guy that bought it was a collector and a gemologist. He knew the value. The guy who had it didn't. I'm preaching to somebody. Maybe somebody doesn't recognize the value. But let me tell you, God's got things set up where someone will. Give the Lord some praise. This Christmas season, God invites us to be like him. We sing that song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus on earth. To be like him. Yeah, we, we skip over those words, I won't. To be like him is not to be stiff-necked and arrogant or proud and haughty, unable to take any kind of correction, disdainful of others. I close Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Did you hear that? If you cannot receive with humility the guidance that God tries to give you or others try to give you, even if they're off base. How many of you have ever had that happen? Somebody tried to correct you and they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. Amen. And you wanted to say, why don't you sweep around your own doorstep before you come over here to start telling me how to clean up my house. You know what your biggest test will be? When people you don't like come and try and tell you something. I I want you to do something right now. Do this. Brush it off. Tell somebody, brush it off. Don't let it affect you. Keep a spirit of humility. Because if you develop a haughty spirit, there will be a fall, I promise you. And that is a word of warning that is resonating through this house as well. The next verse says, better to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the great. Why? Because Matthew eleven twenty eight, we love the first verse, but read all the way through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yay, that's what I want. I'm coming, Jesus. Read the next verse. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn not of me, but from me. Meaning I am setting the example. For I am gentle and say this, and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. We think rest is when you get elevated. We think rest is having our crowns and our thrones. Rest is when you finally just concede and say, God, you're in charge and I trust you. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The King James says, instead of gentle and lowly, meek and lowly. But did you get that lowly? Because there it is again, humus, it's on the ground. You're not trying to exalt yourself. You're willing to allow yourself to be brought lower. That's how Jesus said you find rest. And I conclude by saying that to me is the message within the message. The message of Christmas is that undoubtedly God must love us so much. But the message within the message, he dared to become less. Can we? Humility, that's what Christmas is all about. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask you to come forward, and especially those of you who are walking right now through a broken place. If I were you, I would hurry to be among the first to get down here if I could. Because there is a spirit in this place, an anointing that can change that. Broken? Yeah. In a place you don't deserve? Yeah. You worked hard, you ought to be further down the road than you find yourself? Yeah, that's me, Pastor. Deserve better than this? Yeah, that's me. Didn't turn out the way you thought it would? Pretty much. But resurrection's coming just around the corner. If you can embrace the broken place, look at your neighbor and tell them, resurrection is coming. Would you do that? God's going to turn it around. Four components of the gospel. Virgin birth and sinless life, number one. Number two, death. Number three, burial. Number four, resurrection. That is the gospel. Father, I pray right now for those in this house, all of us in fact, that this Christmas season we could learn humility. the middle of all of this noise and this clamor and all of this to do and all of the commercialism and the noise and the busy schedules and running here and running there help us to just find a quiet place each day to sit down alone with you and say Lord if you could humble yourself I can too and I embrace this place that I'm in right now 
I'll go fight it. I deserve better. I've worked hard. I'm going through a place where nobody recognized that I was that sapphire in the flea market. But I trust you. So I'm not going to fight this. 